My goodness me! Here it is, predictable, well choreographed, perfectly rehearsed. This is episode 6, a meandering run towards the tri-line of rugby chats from Grassroots, a leading podcast focused on women's rugby from the roots up. In this episode, we welcome the excellent Callie from the Columbia Bombshells in South Carolina, USA. Callie talks us through her journey from competition ski racer to rugby player, and what it's like to play rugby in a country that doesn't really know what it is. Jodie has a disastrous date not date, we discuss the intricacies of inter-team friendships, and tackle the endless joy of team selection being dropped, and how to handle fighting for position in a competitive squad. Knock on knock off is the usual dog's dinner, and Molly has a code red, actual red. 22 months out with a triple knee operation. She runs in, tries I'm for Beast. I'm Lou. I'm Molly. I'm Joyce. And I'm Jodie. And I'm Matt. This is Grassroots. So obviously the the rugby charts come alive this weekend. We've had a weekend off. Everyone's fucked off to prison. <laughs> and we had no rugby social that ended up as all in prison. So Goose and Katie have been to visit prisons because apparently that's the done thing to do on a weekend off with no <laughs> Can we rewind a little bit here? I've been in a real prison. It's not nice. <laughs> what? I went to prison by choice. I didn't, you know, it wasn't nicked. I went to prison by choice. Is this all part of your lawyery thing where you mm. Get to experience the other side of your work. Yeah. So that when you're driving around in your fast car collecting your dollar <laughs> in my Monday, you know, whilst you're ruining the lives of the poor people that have to come into come into contact. Great unwashed, you're looking for there, but yeah, great unwashed. Yeah. <laughs> By going to see what you're actually sending them into, you get, you get a greater appreciation of why you should charge even more money for your services. Well, slightly, but this was like this was Oxford Prison, so we were going back to like. Victorian times and pre-Victorian times, so quite a long time ago. And I know prisons are still pretty shit, but I think they're probably a little bit better than what they were. So Cheshire, <laughs> aren't you? Guys? Well, it was it was an Oxford prison, so it wasn't <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did everyone see the chat, the podcast chat? I did. What, what the code red? Yeah. So- <laughs> Who's got the code red? Literally code red, Molly. Is it your code red or her code red? Whose code's red? It's my code red. So basically, oh. I went for a bath and I was like, you know, prime time, Sunday night, make sure it's all in shape, la, 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 la. And then I was like, oh, bollocks, I've cut myself. So I messaged, you know, the go-to person for these incidents, which was Sherry. I was like, oh, Sherry, code red. And she's like, what have you done? I was like, oh, I've cut my flap shaving. And then she was basically like, can you ring Platy? Which is obviously back to our original episode. You don't need advice from Platy, though. No. Yeah. Wait, did you all fit into one shaving session? It's a one-day job. I keep it in check. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not like a flap a week, is it? No. Thanks for all your concerns, guys. The code red's been uh, dealt with. Did you have to sit on a packet of frozen peas for a couple of hours? No, no. Was just that had, bad? Just had to sit it out. But I did go on the flap machine at the gym, so maybe that exasperated it. I don't know. There was a shaving before or after the flap machine? After the flap machine. Or during? <laughs> during? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Bye-bye, DBS. See you later. What sort of gym do you go to, Batty? Crying out loud. Never you mind. Oh, he goes to Jim. <laughs> Jimmy Savile. Goes to Jim. No. <laughs> go and see Jim for my workout. Yeah. Speaking of which, that's not even linked at all, Jodie, but. Tenuous link. When we went out for a drink last Friday, you said that you were going on a date last week. And I messaged you to see how your date went, and your, your response was terrible. And then yeah. I said, oh, no, why? And you said, save it for the pod. So. It's been a while since I've been on a date. 
I took a bit of a break out. I've not been close to anyone emotionally or physically since the summer. That probably goes towards that, that bet. So I'm just like chilling. I asked a friend if she wants to go somewhere because I knew she was interested. So she agreed and we arranged it for a week's time. And then I was speaking to my other friend. Oh, I can't keep saying friend. I don't want to name them. Let's call the person on a date Jackie. And we'll call my other <laughs> friend Karen. 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 So I was, I was speaking to Karen about uh, this meetup with Jackie. And Karen's like, you know, it's a date, don't you? I was like, no, it's not. He's like, you're two lesbians who have been to each other in the past that you like each other in a way. You're going alone. No one else is coming. It's a date. I'm like, oh, fuck. It's a date. Shit. Right. So I'm like getting hyped up for this date. I was like, yeah, okay. It's a date. Excellent. Okay. I've not been out in a while. This is my time to shine. Maybe everything's good. I've been working on myself, going to the gym, getting my head sorted, sorting out all my toxic traits in relationships because I've taken a leaf out of uh, Joyce's book and gone through the self-improvement role of looking at crystals and shit, but not that far. How's that working out, Joyce? That's actually working out not too bad, actually. Yeah. I mean, you know, the other half's on the other side of the world. So yeah, it's going great. <laughs> yeah. I'm not doing the crystals, just doing a bit of self-improvement. So I'm a better person in myself for relationships and all that mumbo jumbo. So I'm like, right, okay, this is going to be fine. I'm going to go on a date. Excellent. Amazing. So Thursday comes round. Jackie? Yeah. So Jackie <laughs> picks <laughs> So Jackie picks me up because I'm blind. So we go to Manchester. There's like an event on. So we're walking around, have a mulled wine and all that, chilling, talk about stuff, enjoying the time. Bit cold. It's fine. Going well, getting the car to go back. Jackie pulls up outside my house. I go in for a kiss and then Jackie tells me that she's seen someone. Oh. So it wasn't a date after all. And I'm like, oh, it wasn't a date. And she's realized that actually that's a get out. That could be true, actually. Yeah. Well, that's a bit brutal, wasn't it? Did did somebody ring her halfway through the date to say that she had to go quickly because her grandmother was in hospital? No, it was okay. No, it went well. But it was friends and we spoke as friends. And it turns out we are just friends, <laughs> but I had it put in my head that it was a date and it wasn't a date. But at least I got myself out there. Sat Karen as a friend. She's a shit friend. I spoke to Karen afterwards and she apologised saying, oh, sorry, that's my fault. <laughs> All on me. I yes, Karen, again. it is. Is Karen single? Karen is single. Ah, I think Karen, Karen might have alternative motives. Oh, really? yes. Good shout, What Joyce. do you mean? Karen might fancy you. Karen does not fancy. Karen's an ex, so burning a candle. I know the one that you went on the date with. Who's the? Oh, uh, Karen's Jodie. She won't mind actually if I call her by her real name. My ex, Jodie. It's fine. <laughs> Is it fine? <laughs> Is it fine? She went out with someone with the same name as her. Absolutely not. No, yeah, we're still friends now. She won't mind me actually calling her name, but I didn't want to call the date by her <laughs> real name because you, a lot of people, know who it is. Jodie. Oh, that, so that means they're part of the rugby team. Yeah, so now I have to go see him on Wednesday, which is going to be a bit weird. Oh, so you went yes. into it for a kiss, you got handed off by one of your rugby teammates, and then you've got to go and play rugby with them. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awkward. Wow. Yeah. Oh, bless you. Who is it? <laughs> Sorry. Jodie, if you want to talk about awkward, give us a ring. Give us a buzz. Give us a buzz. I'll help you out. It's pretty <laughs> awkward. Not gonna lie. Yeah, I'm. I'm there for you, mate. We can stick together. So uh, uh, we're in the same boat. You could have done worse. 
I mean, I've been there as well, where it's been a bit awk at the rugby club, haven't we? So, you know. We've not in the women's there. team. No, not in the women's team. No, but still a little bit awkward. <laughs> anyway, this goes back to Jodie. I remember you said to me, Molly, I would never, ever date anybody on the rugby team. And lo and behold. Yes. But you also said I shouldn't let rugby get in the way of it. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> No, it's fine. <laughs> Despite all of her best efforts, she's still not. <laughs> yeah, I'm not dating anyone now. So I think oh, I'll this could go really bad, though. I mean, not to make you feel worse, but then if you do go and get like sympathy shag on the weekend on our night out of nativity, and then you've got to run naked round the next pitch, the one that palmed you off with they've got a girlfriend, they're seeing someone, which is bollocks, they're going to see you naked then. Just thinking on the terms of podcast, because, you know, we are here to talk about rugby and stuff. I find it very difficult when you do something with someone on your team that's a lesbian, knowing, is it a date? Is it not a date? Do you know what I mean? And I know that sounds really stupid, but, like, I would be oblivious. I'd yeah. be like, nah, it's just going to go see my mate. It is quite a tricky thing, like, not because people are gay. I'm all up for it, as we know. But how do you know if it's a date or not a date? Because I'd go for coffee with batty or you know we'd go out for a pint wouldn't think twice but when you've actually got people on your team that are gay that potentially haven't specifically said it's not a date sometimes the lines can get crossed that's a really good point yeah would you have thought it's a date yeah everyone's like joy she's such a prick tease <laughs> such a funny tease clip tease i just went round for a date i didn't know i just went for a brew <laughs> oh, it wasn't a date when you came over to see me, was it, Jodie? I haven't led you on again, have I? Don't think that was a oh, date, yeah. though, was it? Because there was another one involved, so... Well, it could have been. Was it in a hot tub somewhere? Uh, who knows? Or the candles? But did you put Barry White on the stereo before she <laughs> arrived? <laughs> it is a good point, though. It's tricky. I don't know how you'd tell. I mean, I go around to Goose's all the time. Goose, we have said we are birthday twins, you know, anything can happen. So I was asking whether you would think in that situation that I was in, that whole thing with Jackie and Karen, would you consider that date if you're in my situation, a single lesbian? Do you think maybe that you may t- you need to clarify the terms of the date before you go on said date? This is what I did. I asked Karen's advice and she said... I yeah, but like, you oh, asked Karen, say- you didn't ask Jackie, you know, the person who you were going with, <laughs> just from an outsider point of view. <laughs> <laughs> I said to Karen, should I ask Jackie and confirm if this is a date or not? And she said, no, because you'll come across as desperate. I was like, oh, okay then. I so you that. asked your ex if you should ask mm-hmm. the new person if this was a date. Do you want to just say yes. that out loud, Jodie, like to all of us as a group in a safe space and just see how I that s- sounds when you say <laughs> it out loud? I discuss future relationships and advice on dates with my ex. I asked her for advice because I trust her and she knows me more than. A lot of people do. We're friends now. If you did clarify terms before the date and mm-hmm. they said, no, it's not a date, does that then preclude it ever becoming a date? So what happens if halfway through the date you're thinking, actually, this feels a bit datey? The fact that she's seen someone already, probably. Do you go on Facebook and update your status at that point and just say, not on a date <laughs> to being on a date? I mean, I know lesbians move quickly, but I mean, she started out single. Why would you go on a date? Why would you go with somebody if you weren't potentially looking at someone for a date though or is that just me being own school as friends meeting up yeah which is what i did originally yeah lesbians are allowed friends of the same set we've established this right 
Yeah. Although, <laughs> yeah. maybe not in Wales where Joyce is, you know, because clearly things are... <laughs> no, um, Karen's Welsh. Okay, Goose, just yes. before you went off, you pied me big time. Sorry. I was like talking about how, you know, me and Goose... <laughs> yeah, fucking hell. <laughs> I was like, you know, me and Goose meet up on the reg. Maybe I yeah. should clarify the terms before I go round. Maybe you should. Maybe we should. <gasps> Hang okay. on. Have we been working on a misconception the whole time? I'm sorry if I've led you on at any point, Mo. What do you mean? You've led me on. I might have led you on. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be the new room right. going around the team. Actually, I think we're all missing the point because we can figure out who she went on a date with by finding out who's newly in a relationship. Joyce, we all already know. We're just not announcing it on the pod. I don't. I think Mol knows and Matt know. That's I, it. I'm on the case. I know all the ladies. I want to know. Fuck's sake. Yeah, bang on, goose. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Molly, since you've been single, have you had any, any offers? Maybe. Go on. Mm-hmm. No. Do tell. Have you? No. Love it. No. I think I made a pass at you when we were drunk. Jodie, you'd make a pass at a lamppost when you're drunk. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I'm no longer feeling special. Yeah, I was going to say, I've been sat here thinking, you know what? Jodie's gone on a date. Like, she didn't even ask me out on a date. What the fuck? Yeah, I've had a few offers. Thanks, Batty. Nice. Yeah. Right. Let's talk Probably pod. Well. A few right. offers. Yeah. Few. Yes. You've been single 10 minutes and you've had a few offers. And here's me three months after being single and I get a non-date. You've already ploughed the field though, Jodie. And Jodie, you're walking around with a face like Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> already ploughed the field. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jodie. I've not intentionally asked for them. It just happened. I'm just in my own world. La, 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 la. I am so grilling you later when we get off this podcast, Molly Latham. I need to know, who are these people? This needs to carry on in the pod group WhatsApp group. Do you have their numbers as well? I mean, if you're tying them <laughs> off, don't let them go to waste. So you want my sloppy seconds, please? <laughs> no, she, she's going to be a, consolate, you know, a, a considerate shoulder for them to cry on. That's what Jodie's going to do. Mm. Yeah. So you were worried about looking over keen by saying, is this a date? But you're quite happy just to say, well, if Molly don't, doesn't win it, I'll have you. <laughs> basically yeah yeah right mate, come on dickheads i want my tea let's get pod in i guess first things first eddie jones what are our thoughts oh too soon yeah i'm devastated nine months before a world cup that is a mean feat for any person or coach to take on and have to make an impact within nine months you know you start a new job it takes you what six months to get embedded into a new role and then They've got to take him to the World Cup and win. I just, it breaks my heart thinking everything that he's done for the community, rugby, everything that he does. The players speak highly of him. I know there's been a bit of shit going on about people that he's been nasty to within camp, etc. But yeah, I just, too soon, unfair. Should have just let him do the World Cup. Just pretty devastating for everything. And the other thing is, they've paid out a shit ton of money to pay him and his coaching team out. And then to move Steve Borthwick from Leicester, that money could have gone back into the community rugby. That's a really good point. Yeah. Like seven, eight mil that we don't have that they've done nine months before a World Cup where they could have just let him do it, let him leave, and then potentially still have won the World Cup and invested that money into the community rugby. 
it, it just makes absolutely no sense to me at all. And I think the RFU should be ashamed, to be honest. But, you know, I offended Didsbury, so, you know, I might as well go one up this time and uh, offend the RFU. Fuck you, RFU. In for a penny, Fuck in for you, a pound. RFU. But the thing is, though, it's not all the manager and coach's fault, is it? If you're not winning games, you've got to look at your players as well. Well, see, from my perspective, and, like, I am not Eddie Jones' biggest fan, never have been, because he has a, a trait of picking players that, in my view, are past their sell-by date. Um, and don't play for Exeter. And, and play for Saracens primarily. It really grinded my gears when he was still pulling players from Saris whilst they were in the championship because they've never done that before. But because they were Saris players, they were still eligible for, to play for England, which really, really pissed me off. Because there are a lot of people in the positions of the Saris players within premiership teams who are much better players than they were who should have been given a chance. But Eddie has this thing about going for same faces over and over again. That's an aside topic. I read his book and actually his book is quite insightful as to his coaching mentality and the way that he builds the tournaments. And actually this lull in performance, if he's still coaching in the same mantra as he puts out in that book, it will come good for the World Cup because this lull is supposed to happen before the high at the World Cup. So for me, it's too soon and they should have allowed, like Molly said, him to go through this cycle, let his contract come to an end and let him go that way. On a side note, I'm really pleased that Rob Baxter has extended his contract to Chiefs and he's going nowhere near that England role. But that's just yeah. my personal reference. <laughs> yeah. So there's two things that swung it for me. So, you know, basically, I was concerned about the results. And I think what Eddie Jones did that I think pissed a lot of people off was it seemed like he disrespected a little bit the Autumn Internationals and the Six Nations that I think fans have historically had quite a lot of love for. Um, particularly the Six Nations. I think as a long-term England fan, I look forward to the Six Nations every year, almost more than I do to the World Cup in some respects. And I felt like he didn't really care about the results of that, provided he was starting to work on certain patterns and so on. However, I had a thing at work uh, a couple of years ago with the head of the England hockey coaching team who took the women to the Olympic uh, gold medal, the Olympics, not that long ago. And what was really interesting was that he was talking about through the high-performance program that they were quite happy to lose games. And actually, sometimes they go out to play games and play a particular way, maybe play a particular style of hockey, or they maybe try and engineer certain situations that they play so that they could figure out how to respond when that happened in a live environment so they weren't sort of caught napping. And they, they really didn't care about results. And they were quite happy to, to lose games they should have won. So he didn't get a whole lot of heat because obviously in hockey, it's not that big a deal you know, nationally the way that rugby is. So I, I kind of felt with Eddie Jones that he was probably doing that and he was probably like, quite happy to see the team lose certain things provided that he saw certain patterns of performance or individual performances on the pitch. And it's all, all part of a big plan to win the World Cup. Then the sack him nine months before is absolutely crazy. And I can't see on any level why that would be a good thing to do. There's almost certainly things we don't know about as well. Oh yeah, there's always going to be politics behind the scenes, isn't there? And I just feel that the RFU have bowed to public pressure on this one rather than looking at his track record of having hit and miss Six Nations, having hit and miss Autumn International Seasons, but actually getting us to the final of the World Cup. And 
if Carl Sinclair hadn't taken that nasty, nasty knock in the first two minutes of that World Cup final, I think that would have been a very, very different final. So yeah, for me, I'm a, I'm a bit sad. I'm interested to see whether Borthwick does take the post because that's going to be Leicester's undoing, I think, if he goes. Interesting times. But like Mole says, that golden handshake that they've paid Eddie off with could have done loads for the grassroots community. Totally. See what happens in the Six Nations. We're joined today by Callie. Uh, Callie's one of the players. Are you a player as well, Callie, or just the manager at the Bombshells? Uh, I'm currently the captain coach, so I play and coach the team. Fine. So Callie's a player and a, also a coach for the Columbia Bombshells, which is a team over in Columbia in the US. First question for me, Callie, is where is Columbia? It's the capital of South Carolina, actually. Oh, wow. So you're right in the deep south. I wouldn't say it's the deep, deep south, but it's, we're south. So welcome to the podcast, Carly. Anyway, great to have you on. I'm glad to be here. I guess first things first, uh, tell us a little bit about your team. We've been around for a while now. Um, We've been a grassroots rugby team. We play in the Carolina Geographical Rugby Union, which encompasses North Carolina and South Carolina and parts of Georgia. Uh, We play 15s in the fall and the spring and 7s in the summer. And we are just a growing group of rugby players from all walks of life. How did you get into rugby? Because I'm guessing it isn't something that's a major part of the US sports curriculum at schools. And you know, I, I'm guessing it's not something that's very visible in the country. No, it's funny though, because there's a lot of pockets of it. So um, I'm actually from New York, right outside of the city. And when I was growing up, I was wanting to play football. And my mom was like, no, you're not doing that. And uh, when I was in college, I was a competitive swimmer and a competitive ski racer at the first college I attended and my brother was also a swimmer and he quit swimming to play rugby and my dad called me and said you gotta see this and I went to watch a game and me and my dad made that look like this is something we're gonna have to do and I ended up transferring colleges down to Columbia South Carolina at the University of South Carolina and I started playing there and I've been playing for over 10 years now and coached many teams, play with many teams and fell in love with the sport from day one. From the UK, looking at the US, the nearest equivalent, I'm guessing, is is what you call football. We call it American football. What made you go down the rugby route rather than the, the American football route? Because obviously your dad said not to play or whatever, but why was that? And why would rugby be a better option, do you think? I think what I love about rugby the most is that the rules are the same for both men and women. I like the fact that it's straight contact. You know, you don't have pads and helmets and all that, I think. And I like that it's continuous. You know, with American football, it stops a lot, obviously. I mean, a, you know, hour-long game can last four hours when you're watching it on TV. But I think the coolest thing about rugby is that it's just, always moving and continuous and it's something that I find very very cool that you get to just play with your body and you use every single part of your body that's what I always tell new new players is that you got to engage muscles from your head to your toes and you use every single ounce of yourself out on that field and it's just really rewarding we always say that you use bits of your body you didn't even know you had yes that's very true I think it's fair to say actually Joyce you had you played a game on Saturday did you Yes, how, I did. How was the rugby bus aftermath? The rugby bus hit quite soon afterwards. Yeah. Apparently, I was struggling to string a sentence together when I got home. <laughs> <laughs> Just walked in and was like, uh. And it was, how was you? Uh. 
do you hurt? Uh-huh. I don't know where. <laughs> I think it hurts. And then I just sat on the settee. And I was actually too tired and I hurt so much, it hurt to sleep. So I didn't even have a nana nap before I went out. <laughs> It's amazing the physicality of Saturday for us. I don't know much about American football, but got four hours start and stop. Now I haven't got the attention span for that. Can you imagine? You've got to be super fit. Well, it's really the worst part about it is it takes, you know, there's two minutes left in the game and that could last over 45 minutes. And you're just like, I just want to know who wins. I can't sleep until I know. We all start huffing and puffing on the pitch. If the ref stopped his clock and somebody's, you know, broken a limb and they've not been dragged off the pitch, you know, and it, you know, <laughs> we've wasted five minutes. Isn't it? Come on, I've got a roast in. I've got a roast dinner in. <laughs> I haven't got time to be waiting around. <laughs> so how big is the American football squad as well? How many players are in the squad on match day? Like most teams roster for American football. 70 players but you have 12 on offense 12 on defense and then 12 on special teams but you have a continuous rotation like unlike rugby which is also one of my favorite parts about it because you know in rugby when you're subbed off you're subbed off for the game but in american football you can sub someone off every single play like you're, you're rotating guys through like in and out in and out in and out the whole time is that why american football players are built the way they are because they only have to do one job, so you get a tight end or a oh, yeah. defensive yeah. linebacker. They're built to play their job, and that's it. George, we should bring that into rugby. Imagine you could just be built just to do scrummaging. That's it. I am built just to do scrummaging. That's all I am built for, Matt. <laughs> I, I said that to my old friends. I was like, you know, sometimes I wish we could you know, have rolling subs in every game. And then they looked at me and they were like, Callie, that would just be American football, basically. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a really good good point. You're right. So in um, American rugby, so like in hours, I can do a 20-minute stint and then I can come off for a little break, fag and a beer, and then I can go back on again. Can you not do that in American rugby? So the rules are pretty pretty much the same across the board except in high school which is a little different but for the most part if you're playing what we call a matrix match which is like a match against someone that is scheduled and it counts towards your standings for the end of the year but if you're playing in a matrix match it's when you're subbed off you're subbed off for good the only way we can have somebody that's been off come back on would be if it was like a front row sub. So we only time we have what we call rolling subs, which is, you know, you can come on and off is when we play what we call a friendly, which is just, you know, it's a non-conference, non-matrix game. And it's just, you're just playing it for fun. Yes, that's quite different. I wonder what other differences we have then. Yeah, because I mean, the only way really you don't come back on in a game for us is if you've been given a card, a red card. So we have yellow cards and red cards, yellow cards, you get sin binned, as in made to stand on the side, walk off in shame. How long do you go off? 10 minutes? 10 minutes. Yeah, I did 10 minutes for a yellow card. Yeah, and then red card, obviously that's a complete, you're off, you're not coming back on. So how do you grow the game in the States then? Because in the UK, everyone's heard of rugby at least. I'm guessing in parts of the US, nobody's even heard of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't hear about rugby until my brother played in college and I was 18 at the time. Um, You know, people down here in South Carolina, I say down here, but still in America. But in South Carolina, I mean, I tell people I play rugby and they look at me like I'm crazy. They're like, what the heck is rugby? But it's funny because I found out when I was in college, um, my coach had us volunteer at this high school event. 
and it was a big high school rugby tournament and we were there volunteering and it's really interesting to see how all across the country there's pockets of high school rugby and it's exploded in those pockets like it's huge in those pockets but outside of those pockets no one knows what rugby is I mean people probably don't even really truly know it's a sport so those pockets link to because obviously you have a premier um division in USA I've been googling and obviously New York's quite high up there you know it's they're kind of usually the the league winners do you call it a league over there or matrix Matrix. it's all the Mm -hmm. same thing yeah, so are they sort of so where you've got a big dominant club, a premier club, is that where your pockets are or are they just like completely there's no rhyme? Ironically it's nothing to do with it. Because like I said, mm. I grew up forty five minutes outside of New York City, which is where the New York rugby club is located. There's not really any high school rugby, which is really where you kind of think of like the developmental ages to be playing and kind of being able to grow your game from there. Most colleges now Well, I shouldn't say most. A lot of colleges have rugby teams and they're beginning to grow more and more. But in terms of like the beginning stages of rugby, which for us would be at like the high school age, the closest pocket to New York City is upstate New York, which is about three or four hours away. Oh, right. So it's a big difference. then. so it's not it's not as though that's influenced it at all, is it? I wonder what do you think might be the, the reason for the pockets? Is it just there's a a high school teacher that's into rugby so they push it a bit more over american football or i'm sure it's a little bit of that a little bit of a teacher or maybe a a collegiate team or an adult team that's nearby that wants to start it um, and develop it or i know like for us in south carolina there's a school down in charleston and they don't have football at that school and rugby is their big contact sport it's also a lot of it for American high schools comes down to liability insurance and, you know, it depends on what state you're in, what county you're in and all this little legal rigmarole crop. I was going to say, does that have a big impact then on players? Because, I mean, we're pretty lax on anything like that in England. So we're not really, you know, we'll just chuck our kids into basically bear fighting if we could. Um <laughs> <laughs> they have bears here they have bears in the, in the states joyce yeah, bring them over here for some bear fights. i know where the bears are at i don't even know where bears came from why did i pick bears subconsciously because the bear of nantwich yeah there was a bear of nantwich actually there was yeah. a bear of nantwich yeah. naughty nick brown burnt the town down um and the did. bear escaped yes yeah, sorry Callie, that's sorry. really <laughs> local, local <laughs> yeah history history of our uh it's not georgian what is it um elizabethan Elizabethan town. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jacobean. Even older. Yeah. Anyway, there's the history. But no, insurance is quite interesting because obviously we've had in England uh, rugby recently, we've had a player suing another player for injury, which is really unheard of. And it's a first of its kind. I don't know, because you have your own private medical insurance and you don't have an NHS, National Health Service like we do. So, so USA rugby requires, we call it SIP. It's C-I-P-P. USA Rugby requires players to SIP. And then, you know, when you submit, we have to submit a roster prior to playing the game. And it, if your player's not SIP, they're technically not allowed to play. Right. To the extent that people follow that rule is on every individual team. And it's we try to enforce it to the best of our ability. But the way that that works is it's 
you have to have your own primary health insurance and then you have, they give you a secondary health insurance if um, you do get injured. But the biggest thing with that is each team has to be registered under USA rugby and you're sipped as a team. And that, that insurance from USA rugby for your team. And I think it's like $50 a year per team that gives you all of the viability insurance you need and all of that side of it as a club team. So that, you know, it makes it easier to rent fields and to find places to play. And you have all that coverage so that the fields are like, okay, well, if you have this, then we'll let you play here. God, it's, it's a lot more to it, isn't there? If you think about it, because here we just, if somebody goes down injured, we just call either the vet or the, or the ambulance, <laughs> depending on how the severity of the injury. And you get meeting somebody that's like animals. So, you know. Yeah. The ambulance turns up and carts, and carts them off. And that's the end of that. We might check in on them like a week later to make sure that we might check on make sure. Yeah, we might go to this for the weight, depending on how much we like them. But <laughs> we shouldn't joke about these things, really. Going back to growing the game, then, Callum. This thing I'm really interested in because in the UK, you know, obviously rugby is a well-known sport. It's played at school level, particularly in the West Country. It's generally regarded as a fairly popular sport throughout the UK. Women's rugby has really grown massively since the 2014 Rugby World Cup win. And although we do struggle to get girls to play rugby particularly at under 15 sort of level it's not impossible because at least you've got a story to tell the biggest problem the uk has and it'd be interesting to know your thoughts on this as well participation in sport at all is a massive issue so statistics recently around a million teenage girls between the age of 13 and 18 drop out of sports and never go back to it that's it they finish they don't like playing whatever it is they're doing at school and that's it they never play sports again so that obviously impacts on rugby teams and so on so within the states where the game's relatively unknown it's even harder so how do you go about encouraging people to even have a go at it and take it on so a lot of players here don't start playing until they're in college or until they're an adult uh you know we have plenty of players on our team right now that are in their 20s that have never picked up a rugby ball until this year and we have players on our team that have been playing for six seven, eight, nine, ten years that didn't pick up a ball until they were in their 20s. We like to promote and recruit based on our like team unity. And it's a sport that really is all inclusive. I mean, you need every shape, size, body out there, but you also just need, you need to have the will and the competitiveness, really. That's where it comes down to. So I think that like the collegiate level, because I used to, when I played in college and then I actually coached at USC for a little while, one of the things that we would actually do is, you know, we'd go to team, we go to, we go to these girls that didn't make other sports teams and encourage them. And a lot of it is like when you bring in new players, you have to just bring them into the the rugby family, is what we call it. Um, <laughs> the most dysfunctional family of, in the world, isn't it? Oh gosh, yes, we are a horribly irresponsible family, but we bring people in under that type of like mentality, and it kind of encourages people to stay. We ease them into the harder parts of it, you know, ease ease them into the contact, ease them into playing. I really, you know, I always personally say that you can't go on the field as a new player until you've at least done two or three full contact practices, just so you feel confident in it. And then I always tell every new player too, that you're going to go on the field and have no idea what the hell is going on because it's just a bunch of mass chaos and, trying to find your place in it is really all you can do right now. It's just trying to figure it out because it's unlike any other sport you've played. So a lot of that is kind of how we bring people in. I think that 
the whole family aspect of it and the, and the fact that rugby is one of those unique sports that, like I said, takes every shape, size and every type of body, but it also takes a lot of different personalities. And it kind of gives some people that might not have had another place to fit in to fit in. And it also gives people that have come to other places to fit in another place to fit in. <laughs> One of those things that kind of takes everybody. And it's great that that's the same in other countries because ours is all about the eclectic family members that we have. Yeah. Yeah. We always say, Nate, don't we do it? You meet people through rugby that you wouldn't meet in any other walk of life. Oh, yeah, 110%. And that is so enriching, right? It can be crazy and it can be stressful, to be fair, particularly when you're running the team. I mean, crikey, I've, I've done your job, Callie, and I'm sure you, you guys over there are very disciplined, but in the UK, it's amazing how people go missing when there's a match at the weekend. But, you know, you're so enriched, aren't you, by the personalities that you meet and the people that maybe have not really found their tribe before and then they suddenly find it and it's like the best thing ever. It really is. I mean, I, my best friends are all the rugby team. I spend all my free time with them. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I love all of you, but I need a break. But I never really do need a break because I take a day off and I'm like, I need my people again. They're all my people. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel lost without you. So I don't know whether this happens with your team but um, and how your season runs, but we go from really excited june july pre-season yeah we're all up for it i come out of retirement yet again and then you know we're all up for games and then we get to about now and it's like a family that spent way too much time together we start bickering we start falling out we start nitpicking at each other and then we go out and have a really good night out in december for the christmas party and everyone is best mates again and then we hit the final three months of training and, and if you're yeah. really unlucky you have to have an intervention meeting oh yes you know, where we yes. all go into the changing oh, rooms rather that. than out on the training field if you had to do that oh yeah we've had to do that before i've had to do that on every team i've played with though i mean i think too for for us in america where at least the union that i play in play almost year round so we start our, our first fall game is in like september and then we just finished last weekend and then we start back up at the end of january and go until april and then summer seven starts in may so i mean we have a lot of time together but i think that what works best for us is you know right now we're in our i call it my post fall season spring preseason right now <laughs> so you know we bump down practices to once a week but even then, you know, I think that one of the things that truly helps us stay connected as a team, at least my team, is just the fact that, you know, we do want to spend time with each other on and off the field. And there's so many different personalities and different people amongst this group of us that there's always something, someone to talk to, something, someone to do stuff with. Like, you just end up having this group of people that even when you don't see them after a couple of days, I mean... You just feel like something's missing. And I think that, you know, you might have an event and just a few people from your team show up. Okay, well, that's good. And another event where just another few people from your team show up. And it's like, it. eventually we all end up getting back together. And it's like that whole first practice and we're all back together. I just let everyone talk because no one's going to stop because we're all catching up. And right. it's weird when you don't see somebody for that long when you literally, no. they become a part of your family, basically. Totally. The away games then, that must be, bit of logistical challenge for you because for us we get 
nosebleeds if you go more than an hour outside of our hometown. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and when there's an away game for maybe three hours drive, which is the longest one we have to do, we have to plan months in advance because people will not want to do it and we'll have to really pull out all the stops to encourage people to go along and play. I'm guessing the nearest game for you must be several hundred miles sometimes. The closest game to us is about an hour and a half. So Columbia, we're pretty lucky because in our union, our division is North Carolina, South Carolina, and parts of Georgia. And where we are located in Columbia, we are like dead center of everything. I mean, we have teams that I think our furthest game will probably be about four hours away in either direction. And then most of our games are about two and two and a half to three and a half hours away. Because even for us, our last home game that we had, we hosted a game as well. So we had a team from Georgia playing a team from the top of North Carolina, and they had to play met in the middle to play. So they played in Columbia because it's just so centrally located. But had they not, one of those teams is going to have to travel over six and a half hours, which is, yeah, that's, that is challenging. I think <laughs> you guys talk about planning months in advance for a home game. We're like, all right, are, are we playing this weekend? Do we got enough people? Like, okay, looks like we do. We're going down. And we carpool, and some of us drive by ourselves. Some of us jump in the car with someone else. I know I drive a truck, and I usually bring at least a full truck with me down. And we all coordinate that together prior to the game so that people who don't want to drive don't have to. You've got this vision of half your team sat in the back of your pickup. Yeah, with a couple of sheep singing country songs. You should do that, yeah. Just do have a little hoedown in the back of the truck on the way to the oh, game. That'd, that'd be good. Funny. I mean, to be honest, though, I mean, do you have a team player who you don't want to have to car share with? I mean, we have one. We have um, one. Because it's just traumatic for everybody having to be in a car with her for any length of time. Sherry, I'm talking Sherry, about we you. Sherry, we love you. We love you dearly, but it's traumatic. It's traumatic because she just tells you stories. Or She's got no filter. Absolutely no, not. zero filter. All the things that you think that you want to say, she says. And yeah. it's hilarious, but exhausting, particularly on the driver. Especially when you're driving at about 70, 80 miles an hour in the outside lane and she then shows you a picture on her phone of some male anatomy uh, exactly. and, and you don't, don't know where to look and you don't want to go into the central reservations either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, at this point, she's also drying her socks out of your car window because she's forgot to dry them. So they're flapping against your vehicle as you're driving along at high speed. No, no we I mean, really we can loan you her. We're quite happy to ship her over. Uh, no, I mean... We're all a little different and we all like, we all kind of migrate towards the cars that make the most sense. But I mean, even then I, I've had every single person in my car at one point or another. And I've had, I usually drive. I'm not, I don't really like to ride. So I, but I've ridden with pretty much everyone on my team or they've ridden with me. And it's really just like, I, on the way there, I like to talk cause I'm tired and the morning and I'm not a morning person so I talk and then on the way back it's like we all kind of talk about the game and stuff funny that because I'm trying to think I'm sitting here thinking in my head like is there someone like that on our team but no <laughs> you're that person. we're all kind of like that and they, I don't know that's that what person, I was Kelly. thinking I was like oh my god am I that person like that's all <laughs> I've been thinking the whole time like oh no <laughs> <laughs> if you want to know what Sherry's like, listen to any of our podcast episodes. There's a section called Shez Says, uh, and that's Sherry. She's absolutely priceless, but yeah, I'm like, I, well, I, I can't ride with it might have been me. I'm like, people still keep getting in my truck to ride with me, so maybe yeah. I'm not that bad. <laughs> Do you just have good snacks? 
Uh, I'm not in charge music. of that. We have good music, <laughs> and we have a snack person in our car. Her name's Destiny and Tina. They both bring all the snacks. But I am, I am in charge of getting us from A to B. That is my job. <laughs> See, I love this. It's very similar, isn't it? We all have, out of our teams, we have like the mum who will um, mother us and check that we've got everything. Have you been to the toilet before you've gone? Have you got in the car? Have you got your kit? It's okay. I've bought seven pairs of extra socks because I know someone. Oh, that, that is me. I pack enough extra clothes for an entire team yeah. every time I go anywhere, like even to home games because I'm just like, someone's going to forget something. <laughs> Oh, I'm glad it's not just ours. And then you'll get the ones where we have like like WhatsApp messaging that comes through. So, you know, we're, they're really good. We've got great team managers who send out, you know, these are the times we're going to start. And someone will be, what day is it? What time? Where am I going? Do I need to bring anything? Who am I? What, what's my name? You literally you can guarantee it every time. Okay. We get that. But we also, we like to call it rugby time in our, on our team. So I'll tell the team to be there. Like, let's say we, I want to start warming up at 10, realistically at 10. I'll tell everyone to be there at 9, knowing that everyone will actually show up between 9.30 and 9.45, including myself. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying it's not me, too. But, I'm like, but my thing is, like, if I aim to leave the house to get there by 9.00, I will realistically get there by 9.30 no matter what. I might get there a little early, but we always joke about that, that it's like we are never as a team. We have some players, and I have to tell them, especially the new players, I'm like, listen, guys, we run on rugby time, so I'm really sorry you've been sitting here since 9 a.m., but we realistically don't show up until between 9.15 and 9.45. Just hit or miss with our bunch. We need to adopt that. We need to adopt yeah. rugby time, definitely. What about kits, though? We have a big debate in the UK, right? So playing jerseys and so in the UK are generally designed for men and given to women, and it can cause all kinds of problems. We've had a number of issues with players that are just built completely differently to the design of the, the jerseys that they're wearing. It's slowly getting better. Right? We've got some kit manufacturers that are slowly starting to develop the right designs to fit with the women's uh, body shape, but it's still a slow old process. Well, how do you get by with that in the US? So, and this is mostly our team personally, I can't speak for other teams, but, you know, we've had kits that were that are built for women and we've had kits that are built for men. And there's a lot, there's a lot of kits in both directions for men and for women. The hardest thing though, is that realistically, the way that they cut them in America is that it's like rugby women, it tends to be in the middle of both. We are too broad of shoulder and some of us are too tall for the women's kit i mean the women's kit on me i'm i'm five nine and i've got pretty decently broad shoulders and it's like i feel like it's so short i can barely tuck it in and i feel like i have to wear three sizes up just to fit comfortably in it and then on the other side though with the men's sizes they're always too big on everybody and you know that comes down to there's there's plenty of players on my team that the women kit would fit perfectly but there's also plenty of players on my team that it doesn't. And it's, you know, you don't want necessarily that women's cut, but you don't want, like, you know what I mean by the cut where they kind of cut it in for like your hips and everything. But you also don't necessarily want this big baggy loose thing that's meant to fit a square like a man. It's like, <laughs> we just need something in between. And we've gone back and forth with different types of kits. I mean, a lot of times we have a kit that we'll have for, you know, the last kit we had, we had for like five or six years, maybe more. And the one we have now, we have had for about two years, about a year and a half. And we'll have that one for a while because kids are just really expensive. Yeah. 
it's all very well saying, oh yeah, we, we need kit that's going to fit the, the women, but clubs rightfully say that, well, yeah, great, but who's going to pay for it? Because we order men's kits, we can order five kits and we get a bolt discount. Nobody complains about the fit. We're saying, well, hang on, we've got half the squad numbers and we're asking for 15 different sizes rather than one extra large, extra, extra large and ridiculously large. And that's kind of the way it is. But our experience in the UK is that if you get it wrong, it causes such issues that women simply don't want to play. You know, they'll turn up to games if they can't find a shirt that fits, that it'll affect their, their confidence to such an extent that they don't want to get on the field. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I mean, people will complain, but I'm not, you know, women complain mm. about everything half the time. Um, <laughs> and I, no offense to the women out there, but yeah, <laughs> women do. are always going yeah, to have something yeah. to complain about. That's just, right. you know, and, but it, I mean, I think that you will find that in some essence, some of our like bigger forwards will be upset if it's too tight and some of our backs think it's too loose. But I think that when we step on the field, like no matter what, size we're wearing or if it's too big or too small I don't think that affects our confidence at all I think you know after you get to like the great thing of the sizes and you know we always hand out jerseys and people change different jerseys and it's not a big deal to me it's like you want to wear something that you're more comfortable in go right ahead but I think that the biggest thing is you know when we step out on the field we just play I think sometimes the worst thing about wearing like the men's jerseys or the bigger size kits are there's just so much extra jersey to it that people can hustle you up and grab you by it. Whereas sometimes with the women's kit, you have, it's tighter and more form fitting. And I think that that would affect people more than it would being looser. Yeah. yeah. How do you guys socialize? I mean, what, you know, what is the, the team culture like? I mean, in the UK, you know, I'm not sure whether you've been over here, but drinking is a big part of our culture. In rugby teams, it can be particularly full on and it's something that we've, we're trying to address a little bit by trying to be a bit more inclusive in the way that we socialize but now, what does a typical team social look like for you over in the states definitely there is a lot of drinking still you know and it's but it's not it doesn't exclude people who don't we have it more of like a anyone can come like more of like a family style where people can bring that they have their family with them it's not that big of a deal i mean they're not nobody's going to want to stay at a rugby social with their family that long because it would just get weird and everyone kind of stinks because we we like to call it stink and drink where we finish a game and we go right to the social but usually um the the away team after a game and you know we go to a bar and we or a pub we we go to a pub here or some people go to venues we usually get kegs some teams buy x amount of dollars worth of beer at the bar that you have to you know you can get at the bar you know we do our players we we do themes sometimes we have themes and sometimes we don't and then at the socials, we also have food. Food is always offered up. And we do like a player of the match or a back of the match, a four of the match. And um, some teams do like a rookie of the match or a bitch of the pitch. And we all have like a really pitch, fun time. That. Yeah, both of the pitch is someone who's made like a really goofy, silly mistake or something that everyone can kind of get a good laugh out of. Or some people call bitch of the pitch is like someone who went out there and just played a phenomenal game and they were just like, controlling the whole thing so our rugby socials turn into they're a lot of fun they really are inclusive because some people some people don't want to drink after a rugby game i mean some people want to keep chugging after a rugby game it's just it's really to each is to own and i've definitely found that at different levels you know what people want yeah kelly just a quick question for you personally so what is rugby given to you 
Rugby has given me a lot, actually. I've gotten to play rugby all over the country with different select side teams. And, you know, this last year I got to go to Jamaica and represent the U.S. with uh, by playing with the USA South select side team. Really, rugby has offered me a place and an outlet to feel, you know, happy in everything that I do. And, you know, even when I haven't necessarily clicked with my teammates in the past and I was mainly in college. It's still like I still fell in love with the sport, and I realistically rugby gave me something to be passionate about. I've never felt such a passion in my life until I started playing it. I love that, Nick. We always say that rugby's in your blood, isn't it? It doesn't yeah. always, it doesn't start in your blood necessarily, but it we it kind of weasels its way in, doesn't it? And once once it's in there, that's it for life. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm stuck for life. You can't let go. It's the family. It's not necessarily the game. It's the family that you create. Yeah, there's no words for it. You can't explain it to other people who aren't part of it. It's like some weird cult, really. It's just, it's, it is. It's just, yeah. you know, you, like you say, you know, you kind of miss them when they're not around. I mean, you really do miss them. And you know that you can drop into the chat at any time and you'll just be welcome. In the UK, we have this thing called the Six Nations. I'm not sure whether you've mm-hmm. uh, come yeah, across it over in the States. And it's like a big deal every year. And so I remember going out to watch a game. And I think we watched, you might have been there, Nick, actually. We watched three games back to back. Oh, we did in the... Um, um, yeah, in, and we drank a lot of beer and ate a lot of food. And I just had the best day ever. I remember going home, my wife saying to me, how on earth did you sit and watch all of that rugby and not get bored? And I was thinking to myself, it's kind of a weird concept, isn't it? To sit for that length of time and do one thing with the same people and just be entranced by it the whole way through. It's, it's very strange, isn't it? Yeah, it's just that is rugby. I mean, it's... One of those things that once you fall in love with it, you don't ever really fall out of love with it. And even if you stop playing, you might take on a spectator role or a team support role, or you might ref or you might coach. But it's just one of those things that once you fall in love with the sport and you build that family around you, it's so hard just to, I I mean, I can't imagine walking away from it, you know. No, no. Joyce tries every year, don't you? I, well, no, I just use it to get out of pre-season training, to be honest, yeah. <laughs> Every year we pension Joyce off and we say, look, you know, you've had a really good season, Nick, but we know, we'd like to wish you well in your retirement. Yeah. Oh, there's so many people around here. Well, more so on the men's side of it, that they retire every year and they're back in the fall. Yeah, exactly. It's just really <laughs> hard. And I try and I'm like, no, I'm definitely not playing. I'm too old. My body can't take it. What you need someone to play. You don't need someone. I'll just come anyway. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, well, for all I'll my boots just in case. Here, we start so late, you know, and I say late because we don't start when we're, you know, teenagers or young when we're in high school or middle school. But a lot of us start so late in life playing rugby, whether it's in college or, you know, when you're in your 20s, some people in their 30s that, you know, rugby becomes like this lifelong thing. I mean, we have players from every age, from 1920 to 39, 40. And it's, it's one of those things that it's just like so hard to walk away from, even when you are like, right. oh, my body, I don't know if I can handle it. <laughs> you just you just like the next season, you're like, oh, no, I'm going to handle it because what am I going to do without it? I remember having a knee injury and going to the doctor and saying to him, look, I don't care what you tell me, but if you tell me I'm not playing rugby, I'm not going to do it. So you need to give me something that enables me to play rugby and manage the pain. And he's like, well, you're an idiot, but <laughs> 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 the only way to stop being injured is to stop playing rugby. 
but if you're going to keep doing it then do this it's like thanks that's all uh, you needed thank you <laughs> yeah, it's like my i had prior injuries from other sports and i never forget i had my hip reconstructed when i was in college oh. Oh, and i was from being a competitive ski racer and i looked at my surgeon and i said listen because i studied abroad in new zealand so i played rugby over there for six months but i looked at him and i said in eight months i'm going to new zealand and i'm playing rugby whether you let me or not so I'm just letting you know, I better be fine by then. And I was when I got to play and I had my foot operated on as well because, like I said, from other sports, I've had this issue since I was a kid. And my foot operated on, I said to the doctor, I'm like, I'm going to be playing rugby after this. And he's like, well, we'll see. And I said, no, 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 <laughs> I'm letting you know that I will play come hell or high water, even if I'm in pain. I will be playing rugby after this whole thing. And he's like, all right. And I still keep playing. Stupid ref, stupid ref, stupid ref, stupid ref. Do you have a stupid ref encounter from the States? I have plenty, but so. uh, the one that I think was the funniest that of recent, it happened this past season. You know, we were playing a game and I had a beautiful kick down into the try zone and my fullback comes flying down and she's about to get there and the other team's inside center, like, kicks it so it landed in the try zone she kicks it out the back before my teammate could land on it and the ref literally puts his hand on his head like think 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 <laughs> i don't really remember the rule for this one and we're like well we'll just call it a five meter scrum he goes okay that works that'll do yeah i'm like oh my god like what it's funny you know i think like that is one of the things in, in the u.s that they would really and especially in our area, they've been really trying to encourage the development of the refs. And we have some really great ones coming out of our area. But we have some ones that, like, I mean, I, I watched a ref this past weekend who didn't leave. She ran between the 22s and inside the 15s. And, and I was laughing because one of the teams kicked the ball. There was a penalty for them, and they kicked it out for touch. You know, it should have been their ball again. No, she gave it to the other team because it went out of bounds. I'm like, it didn't hit in bounds. What, what are you talking about? Like, that's a go-to move to slow the ball down. Take it out and get your freaking, you know, get your line out going. And she was like, we're like screaming at her from the sidelines. And it was not even for the team we were cheering for. It was for the other <laughs> team. And we were so <laughs> aggravated by it. Uh, I love it. Yeah. So there's a job for you, Joyce. You know, you can go and go to the States, get your refereeing badges. You can just walk in and just already be ahead of some of them yeah oh, like yeah they can yeah if yeah. you have a general knowledge of what rugby is you'd be great oh well, there we go. that's where i fail i don't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i just know i need to catch it and run forward that's the, that's my job that's, that's all like I your job is catch and go forward <laughs> we have some really great refs and even they i mean i had a ref that i'm talking to after a game and he was you know mentoring the ref on the field and he just came up to me after and goes i'm so sorry that was that made no sense. He's like, half the calls weren't even real rules. I've never heard of these before. And he's like, I, I don't even know what to tell you right now. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> thank you. Because I was wondering what the heck these, what's a foot in the ruck? I've never even heard of that. Or, or one was I was counter-rucking and you're counter-rucking. You're not allowed to counter-ruck a ball. I'm like, well, had advantage been called? No. So then why can't I counter-ruck? Oh, you were coming in too aggressively. Oh, gets what, away. What? what the hell does that mean? Like, I was at this ref just like, I had after that, and especially being the speaking captain, I had to just shut my mouth and be like, oh, okay, we're going to make it to the end of the game. 
And then you get refs that like both teams are high tackling, having hands in the rucks, you know, playing it on the ground. And both teams are doing it. And the ref will be like, well, it's fair because both teams are doing it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's how we play a safe game of rugby. Everybody just break all the rules. Crazy, love it. That's so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No rules. Just go out there and bash the crap out of each other. Who cares? That could be a good sort of derivative of the sport, couldn't it? It's called murder ball or something. (laughs) Isn't that just called a friendly? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) That's that's like an inter-team selection game, isn't it? Callie, listen, love chatting to you today. I'm so glad we managed to, to catch up. It's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. Yeah, um, and you know, good luck to your team and to, uh, you know to you for the rest of the season. Hope it passes off without incident. Thank you guys so much for having us. I'm really, you know, really excited that you guys chose us down here in Columbia, South Carolina, and I hope we could supply you some information on what rugby is in America, especially at the grassroots level. It, yeah, it's been it's really informative. It, it's good to know there's real similarities, and then there's just some complete differences as well. But yeah. And I'm going away with we need to change Dick of the Day to bitch on the pitch. I love that. Yeah, I love that. It's brilliant. It's got a sass element to it, hasn't it, as well? Because yeah. it could be. Yeah. Yeah, right, yeah. I'm not sure whether you guys listened to the good the scars and the rugby last week, but I found it an extremely difficult listen because it was talking to Mo Hunt and um, Emily Scarrett about the Women's Rugby World Cup that's just happened. So obviously from Skaz's perspective, the discussion was largely around you know losing and all the work that went into it and all that sort of stuff. And you know, she was very pragmatic and I guess I didn't come out of it feeling like she was you know broken beyond what you'd, you'd normally expect from losing a high-profile game. But listening to Mo Hunt talk was really challenging about how she got dropped prior to the, um, the World Cup happening didn't travel out to Australia with the, to New Zealand with the team. And I mean, it's fair to say that it broke her and the impact it's had on her over the last couple of months has been pretty serious. And I mean, she's, you know, she's pragmatic now, but I mean, she, even all these weeks later, she still can't talk about it particularly well without crying her eyes out. And it was pretty difficult to listen to. So I was thinking, you know, obviously something we have to deal with in the game as coaching, as a coaching team, as captaincy side, but also as players, you know, We've been dropped, we've been overlooked for selection. I mean, I spent nearly an entire season on the bench once. It's pretty tough, isn't it? You know, what are your individual experiences of being dropped? It's really difficult, isn't it? Because you, I think if you know that you've not been putting the effort in and you get dropped, you know, you haven't made training or you've had a bit of sass or whatever, then, you know, you can take it on the chin or if your fitness isn't there. But when you've put in all the work, I remember a particular game getting dropped and I was probably the fittest I'd been, and it was a political drop. It wasn't anything to do with my ability, I don't think, or uh, pitching up. And that was really difficult to take, really difficult. But I then flipped it and thought, I'll fucking prove to you. <laughs> so it did have an impact the other way that made me want to really fight for that place. But it, oh, it's, it's just that horrible gut feeling of being dropped. I mean, are we talking benched or are we be talking fully dropped? I think both. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've been dropped to the bench. I've been dropped from the entire squad. But, I mean, bench, that's, I don't think that's a, that, you know, I don't take that. You know, if you start on the bench, you're on the bench, you're part of the team, you know, you're there, aren't you? Um, I don't take those to heart. There's difficult decisions you've got to make. But yeah, being dropped fully, oh, 
absolutely brutal. Yeah, it does suck. Yeah. Yeah. And no matter how much you kind of go, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I'll come down and watch. Literally, your just guts inside are just like, no. It, yeah, it's one of the hardest things you have to do as a coach. And it's definitely one of the hardest things to take as a player, isn't it? But it is a question. Does it, does it make it worse if you feel like the player that's playing in your place isn't as good as you? Yes, definitely. So I, and Batty will know this game pretty well, so when we had a particular coach whose name shall not be mentioned for fear that it's like mentioning Voldemort's name (laughs) and bad shit will happen. And I got picked to start in the fullback position, which I don't know anybody who enjoys playing fullback. It's a God awful position. I absolutely hate it, but you put a shirt on and you do a job. And within the first 10 minutes of the game, I missed one tackle. And I was benched and I thought, okay, fine, I'll come off, but I'll get back on. And the game went on and the game went on. And when she put a forward into the wing position, when both our wingers went down, I was crushed at that point, absolutely crushed to the point that it had been one of those seasons. And that for me was the pinnacle of utter shitness that season. And I remember having a conversation with you, Batty, after the game when you rang me to chat about it. I can feel myself getting emotional about it now because it brings back such horrible, horrible memories. I was ready to hang up my boots after that game and to say, enough of this. I am not in this sport to be made to feel like this. I am leaving. But we chatted it through. You talked it through with me and I came back. And as a lot of people say, a lot of things can happen in 12 months and look where we are now. But I can go back to that feeling I can feel really shit about it and I just as much as I will text Molly if I'm on the bench and say I'm on the bench what's going on I am just happy to see my name on that team sheet at the end of the day and I love to big up the players who I know have come from not being in the squad at all to making it on the starting team sheet because I know what that means and that's huge so yeah I can't imagine to think what Mohan went through that she's one of my idols and I just can't imagine what she went through with that but it's a pretty heart-wrenching experience to go through when you think you're on form and for somebody to totally take your legs out from underneath you it's utterly horrible oh yeah do you know what I hate as well right it's the bullshit that comes with it so you know you and I had a pretty frank conversation after that yeah yeah particular incident um didn't we Jason yeah I didn't agree with the decision look I suppose from a coaching perspective you weren't having a great 10 minutes. No. no. <laughs> yeah, I've seen you play better, let's be honest. Yeah. But it wasn't something that warranted dropping. And and actually, you know, when it was Sherry, actually, it was put on the yeah, wing. Yeah, Sherry got put on the wing in my place. And I was like, what the fuck? And then she got yellow carded. And then yeah. uh, and then they put another forward on the wing. And I was just like, fuck, that's it. But, but that for me, yeah, there, there was another layer to that, which was the disrespect to the opposition. So we were playing team that we were a lot better than them. the first uh, half hour was reasonably competitive and then we put a lot of points on them and it was for me extremely disrespectful to the opposition to put players on the field in silly positions just for shits and giggles i thought it's a really negative message irrespective of how you were feeling about it it sent a negative message to the the opposition and it's kind of such an arrogance isn't it arrogant it was yeah yeah, it's just embarrassing yeah and i think that's abusing your 
position as the coach to bring in your own. And I know it's hard. You know, I'm sure you guys and Molly has over the times when a player has been particularly difficult with attitudes, not to take it personally, but you have to, if you're in that role, you've got to step back, haven't you? You've got to remove the emotion. It's a really tough job coaches have, isn't it? Because it's, and also you get team, a team where you've got some people who just love to play and then you've got people who want to win all the time. And it's how do you balance that? And I don't know how you balance those things as well. That must be really difficult. And the thing is, some people also, they just have a bad game, right? So, you know, I've seen each of you actually on occasions have a bad game. You, you know, you go inside your own heads, you are outplayed by one of, you know, someone on the other side, maybe the ref gets in your ear, something happens and you're not quite at the races. Sometimes it can be for half an hour, sometimes it can be for the whole game. And sometimes, you, you, you know, you're having to make a decision about the player based on most recent evidence or the way the game's flowing, which can be really challenging when you know you've got a player that can do a particular job quite well. So Jodie, for example, you know, interesting your thoughts because you've spent a lot of time on benches, haven't you, over the years? And that's partly because your your commitment in the early days waxed and waned a little bit, didn't it? You took a while to settle into a position, but we always knew that you were a good player to bring on in certain game scenarios and we give you a clear instruction and you go and usually deliver that. But now having been in a situation where you're starting a lot of games, does getting subbed off piss you off or is it just Uh, something you accept? Is it a nice break sometimes to the game? This season, I think I've been chosen to start majority of the games, I believe. But of previous seasons, a bit like Joyce says, you've not really put the effort in. Therefore, I can't be pissed off when I've not been to training for weeks that I'm put on the sub bench. I think at this point, with a lot of injuries that I've had, I have requested to be put on the bench just so I get a bit of a rest. So when I'm benched halfway through a game now, I'm thankful for it because it means I'm less likely to hurt myself. Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. How about you, Mol? Obviously, as captain, you must get a fair bit of flack, do you, sometimes for selection decisions or people that think that they're they should start over somebody else. I mean, you know, how do you deal with it? And, and also as a player, how do you deal with those times where maybe you've been benched over the years? Yeah, so when I played for Northwich, I won't name the person, but the same annoying person that's, you know, made a crop up at crew and some other people that had a really bad attitude probably wasn't much worse of a rugby player than me, but the attitude stunk. She always started at eight at Northwich and I found that, hard to swallow not because I minded being benched but and it wasn't about ability for me like if someone's better than me you know I've sat on the bench at Waterloo I've worked hard to get my time on the pitch I found it really hard that the person's attitude was worse than mine rather than the ability for me I don't care what someone's ability is if their attitude to training is excellent they put their work in and they get to start over me, then I would openly welcome that. But when someone's attitude and the the love for the game and, you know, I'm a, a stickler for the laws, they don't abide by the rugby values. That's what I found hard when I got benched, when somebody that was playing was just an absolute cock, can't give anything like that. So that was really difficult for me. And I think people kind of perceive certain people in our team that they never get benched, but everyone's done their time on the bench somewhere whether that's at crew, their old club or whatever. I think that's really key to mention. Like everyone has done their time on the bench. I find selection an absolute fucking nightmare because what goes out in the team sheet is what the coach, the vice captain and the captain have decided is the best. 
option. And what can be really difficult is people don't know everything that's going on. So, for example, you know, we've had a couple of players this year that have had really bad confidence issues. They've been really scared about playing and haven't been on the pitch for a long time. So we choose to start them. And then you get the backlash from the people that have been benched in their place, but they don't know the stuff that's going on at home or the struggles they're having off the pitch. So that's one battle. And then I can't say to them, oh, the reason this person's starting is because they're really nervous about playing rugby or they've had a bad tackle last game they played and they just want to get some confidence back. Because for someone to start, they've got no option to go on. They're starting to start someone on the bench. They've got an option to say, do you know what? Actually, I can't go on. But starting them feels like they have to, if that makes absolutely any sense. They have to start. They've got no option to say, actually, I don't fancy it today. Once the game's coming on. So it can be difficult because you've got to manage the disappointment of the people that know that they're good enough with equally the personal and mental battles that other players that are going on that the whole team aren't aware of. So that's really tricky. And then what I also find really hard is, obviously I'm friends with quite a lot of people in the team, well, pretty much everyone to my knowledge. I don't like disappointing my friends, but to quote Joyce, I have to put my captain's head on and I have to eradicate any other feelings about friendship, anything like that, and think, right, what's the best for the team? Like, who are we going to bring on from the bench? Who's going to make an impact? And Jodie is a fantastic bench player. That's no discredit to her ability, but when everyone's fucked after 30, 40 minutes and Jodie comes on and runs through people like a train, that's game-changing. It's really difficult because you've got to balance training and effort, attitude, injuries, personal preference, people throwing the toys out the pram, and also care of individuals. Like, people don't know what's going on in people's lives. Like, Some people have had a death in the family and actually don't want to be on the pitch, so we drop them. But people are like, oh, so-and-so's been dropped. They don't know what's going on. And and that can be the difficulty for me. Like, I want to put the best team out, but only for the people that have turned up and trained, but equally give everyone a chance. And it is, I don't get it right all the time. None of us do. It's not possible, but we try to do the best job we can. And without kind of giving everyone every explanation for the points to and from like it's just kind of like we have to deal with it and I think sometimes everyone's like oh Molly always gets picked Molly always starts etc but I didn't used to like I did years at Northwich where I was benched every single game dropped games because I couldn't train or or whatever and and I know how it feels and sometimes it can come across as really heartless that we don't send messages out to go I'm really sorry you were dropped. The reasons were X, Y, and Z. But we've got to remember that this is just part-time fun. And that's why the Magpies is so important to me because all I care about is getting as many people rugby and as many people game time as possible. And the more Magpie game fixtures we get, the more people can play. But I understand how upsetting it is when you don't get picked. I've been there and it's difficult. And then when you've got someone in your position that you're fighting for the same shirt, again, just awful and it is heart-wrenching. But I feel like the captains and the coaches have got a hard job and the players are just left waiting for selections to come out all week. And it's just, 
when you're not getting paid for it, it's disheartening. But for Mo Hunt, who this is her life and her job, imagine when you go for that promotion and you don't get it and someone that gets it isn't as good as you. Like it's that same kind of mentality. Like you just, you don't want to swallow it, do you? I wonder whether it comes with maturity as well, though, because I, I kind of, I'm older, aren't I? So I kind of, I get why and I'm kind of like, I don't need to know. If I'm doing shit or I haven't put the effort in, I hope you respect me enough to tell me that and can sit down and you know me well enough to go, actually, Joyce, do you know what? No, you are carrying an injury. You're denying it, but we know you are. So that's why we're putting you on the bench or we're not playing you. I don't know. Whereas, you know, if I'm starting on the bench, I just think, brilliant, great. We've got a solid team out and I can understand why they're playing because you know what? They've been to every session and they've worked their way up from magpies and I can see your logic in it. I think it's hard when there isn't the logic and it's a personal and emotional reason why that play is not being started outside of the core values of rugby, really. I think that's when it's really difficult. Like what you went through, Goose, that was just unacceptable, really. Like, I'm not going to sit here and lie and I'm not going to say that as a competitive person, when the team sheet comes out and I'm not in a position that I thought I would be in or I'm on the bench or something like that. I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that my heart doesn't sink a little bit, but that's just natural. Like we are all competitive people. We all want to be at the top of our game. We all want to be doing something that we love. But I think like you say, Joyce, it comes slightly with age. Like I will still text Molly and say, I'm on the bench. You know, what's that about? Anything I need to be aware of, et cetera, et cetera. And Molly being my friend, and my captain will be frank and will be honest with me. And if I need to sort something out, then I go away and I work on that. But at the same time, having, as all of us have, through my rugby career, spent many a day sat on the bench, spent many a day, not even on the team sheet, just on the sidelines cheering people on. With age and experience, even if I'm not in the position that I want to be in or if I'm on the bench, I will still, still cheer on and big up those people who are starting and who have earned that spot for whatever reason. But I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that it doesn't doesn't still hurt a little bit, but that's just because I'm a competitive person. If it didn't, I shouldn't be playing. That's it. You know, that, then it's time to hang the boots up at that point. Yeah, if you don't care enough that you're not starting and you're not putting that badge on and that yeah. shirt on, you need to have a look at exactly. yourself. Yeah. I'm sure we all have these phone conversations with our mates within the teams. Like, fucking hell, look, at they've put it number, blah, blah, blah. why have they put them on? Blah, blah, blah. Full on ramps. But you get in that changing room on game day and you go out as a team, don't you? And I think if you're not, then, yeah, you've got a question whether you should be doing a team sport. Really. I think as a coach, as a player as well, actually, yeah, one thing that's always very difficult to get across to players is where they are in the pecking order, ability-wise. So if we just park like, attitude and commitment and so on because some players are amazingly committed but are just a bit shit and they're great team players and you you know you want them around the squad but you know you're always going to struggle to justify picking them over somebody else if it's one of those games that you need to win you know but I think what I found really difficult as a player was not feeling like I was getting the truth from the selection decisions that bothered me I remember to see my captain once there's a guy that used to constantly get picked over me I was playing for a club called Tunisians down in, in Twickenham I was training twice a week. I was reasonably fit even for me back then. And every single time, selection would come out and I'd be on the bench. And this guy, Martin, he rarely came to training. Lovely guy, you know, a lot of time for him. But I just felt like he was preferred to me. And that was the end of it. It didn't matter what I did, you know. And I remember speaking to the captain once and I never really felt like I got a straight answer. 
And in the end, what happened was, is that as a few of us that felt like we were getting stiffed a little bit on selection, we started building the second team up a little bit. And it was a bit toxic, I'll be honest. But there were definitely times where I wanted the first team to lose. I was happy that they were having a bad game because, and, and when we were winning and they weren't, because I felt like the selection decisions weren't fair and weren't, and weren't considered the right way, right? And it, that's incredibly toxic. Conversely, when I was playing cricket, I remember my captain coming to me at, at uni and saying to me, I'm dropping you for Saturday because you've put on weight, you're unfit and you're not working hard enough. And, you know, it's the best thing he could have done. I remember literally crying my eyes out. I was like, I was really hurt by it, really affronted by the conversation. It was really blunt and direct. Re- I felt really out. Just felt like it was really uncalled for. Once I'd sort of dry my eyes and man the fuck up a little bit, I looked myself in the mirror and was like, yeah, he's right. He is right. I haven't been working hard enough. I've considered my place in the first team to be a right rather than a responsibility. And he was right. I need to get myself down the gym. I needed to shed a few pounds. I need to work a bit harder. And, you know, I came back a better player as a result. You know, by contrast with the rugby, I, I should have moved clubs is, is what I'm probably saying, really. So I think that's a really valid point. Because what I found really difficult, and again, going back to when I was benched at Northwich, was I couldn't understand the reason. And sometimes coaches make decisions on what makes their life easier. And I don't agree with that because it needs to be a squad decision and everyone needs to buy into the squad ethos. So if the squad ethos is everyone plays, which we we do at the academy level, everyone gets half a game. Totally agree with that. The level that we're playing at playing championship rugby we're two below the prem we want to win we all set out to say at the start of the season this is what we're going to select by and we have to stick to that what I find difficult is balancing ability and attitude so if you've got for example I'll take Katie Katie trains pretty much every week she's an unbelievable player her work rate is is crazy for someone to take Katie's shirt it's going to take someone pretty unbelievable to do that so when Katie's name goes on the on the sheet nobody questions it you've then got someone that you know work shifts or uh, their training's hit and miss they get selected that's more a questionable decision because it's like well are you going to reward the person that's less able but trains every week or are you going to reward the person that's a better rugby player and that's when it becomes tricky I think it takes a lot for someone to to ask why they've not been selected. And I actually like the fact, the goose, et cetera, and other players on the team that they challenge it. And if I stepped off training and didn't train every week and someone was better or kind of same level as me and they were trained every week, I'd lose my shirt. But I think sometimes people are delusional in their ability and that's when I get frustrated and I'm not talking about anyone on the pod, but there's some people within our squad and within different squads that believe they are the best rugby player, but then don't deliver on the pitch. And I get frustrated when you're doing other people's work on the pitch, and that's what can be really demoralising, and that can have a significant impact on team performance when you've got people that are on the pitch that think they're the tits, but actually they don't go to one in three rooks they don't carry hard they choose when they join in and actually as a coach you have to look at what's better for the team 
Who's going to piss less people off? <laughs> Who's going to work really hard? And, and these are all things that you have to think about in selection because if half the team are fucked off because one player's on the pitch because their attitude's shit, that's significantly going to impact the team performance and that can be really hard. And the other difficulty is when you've got fucking 10 wingers or 10 back row or 10 second row, like how do you make those decisions? And ultimately the only way you can do that is on ability and attendance and attitude. And it can be really, really hard. And that's why, again, I go back to the Magpies is amazing because you get everybody gets a game. Granted, not as much as we'd like this season, but next season the Magpies are going into a league. And I think if you've got enough players you definitely need two teams because otherwise you can only have two wingers and a sub winger you can only have two flankers and one eight like if you're a nine or an eight or a ten your choices are pretty limited there's one position there's three front row there's two second row there's two wings there's two centers everything else there's one off and, and that is difficult because that means you're going to get one chance to get that spot. And that's why I say to everyone, play as many positions as you can so that you can play different positions so everyone can fit in the team. And, and I think if you're willing to try different positions, that just puts you in a coach's eyes as, yes, this player is versatile. I can play them wherever. If you're limited to one position you just reduce the chance of getting selection because you're not willing to be versatile and play different positions for the team. Katie, centre, wing, 10 if she has to, if we're really desperate. Back row, do you know what I mean? She'll do anything and, and that's what makes a player selectable by their attitude and versatility. And I think if anyone is out there that's like, oh, I never get selected, train in a new position, become indispensable. Basically, is that the right yeah. word? Yeah. yeah. Become indispensable, and then you'll always get a shirt. The, the one thing I wish I I knew when I first started out coaching was how losing a couple of games because you've made a difficult selection call to get rid of a player that's a pain in the ass is worth it. I wish I'd known that because there were times where certain players it could be the difference between winning and losing, right? But they were dickheads and they were a pain in the backside and hard to manage and disruptive in the squad and so on. And I wish I knew that if you just cut that bad bit of the apple out. You might lose a couple of games. It might be a bit difficult. But if you put faith in players who are showing the right values, that are committed, they're good team people, good fun to be around, all the rest of it, actually the results will come. They might not come for the games you want them to, but overall the squad will be a healthier, better place. Like if you look at the squad now, it's as healthy and as happy and as cohesive as I've ever seen it. And a lot of that's due to certain people not being there. Can we just never put Katie back at 10, though, please? <laughs> <laughs> Just for my own sanity's point. <laughs> You've got to understand per people's personalities as well. You, you, you know, as coaches and managers of a team, you are social workers. You are good cop, bad cop. You've got to get into that psyche of each player, haven't you? You know, if you turn around to said to me, Joyce, you're fat, you're unfit, you need to get down the gym, I'd be like raging for about 20 minutes. And then like you, but I'd be like, yeah, you're right. Actually, fair play. Thanks for being honest. Say that to one other player, honestly, they're probably still screaming in your face a week later. That's a good coach. That's a good manager. That's a good captain who knows how to get the best out of those players on that pitch, isn't it? Goose? Yes. Who's good cop? Who's bad cop? Oh, oh God, that's going to be a difficult decision, isn't it? Mm. Oh, Jesus. You better, I don't know. I feel Jodie's going to have to be the bad cop. It's like good cop and incompetent cop. <laughs> <laughs> 
It, like, let's be honest, though. Let's not sugarcoat it. It's a fucking nightmare. We've got sixty. We've got sixty women that are all hormonal, either on the blob. Like, let's be honest. Mercury retrograde set in. Someone. Someone's got a hangover. Yeah, someone's just going through a breakup, and you've got to pick twenty-two shirts with like however many people. And some weeks we're scraping fifteen to go to away fixtures, and then Susan that couldn't be asked to get out of bed because she was hungover and didn't fancy the third three-hour trip to Driffield rocks up going why haven't I got a shirt for Sefton well let's be honest Susan because you're in bed shagging <laughs> and you didn't fancy turning up like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it selection's a fucking nightmare and mm. I absolutely hate it and I hate the dickheads that message me and say oh I'm really sad I'm not on the starting pitch and I'm like yeah it, it sucks and I have to be like it's because of this it's because of this because of this no you don't I think you need to deliver it in, in that way with the filter yeah. off yeah because you couldn't be fucking asked to sit on that bus like the rest of us, dying with travel sickness on the windy roads, and then get a beast in in the freezing cold. That's why you've not what been you need selected. To do, what you need to do, Paul, is yeah. send those messages on to me, Jodie, and Joyce, and Bathy, and we will come up with a response for you to send on. And yeah. that way, filter it. Yeah. It'll be a, <laughs> a Joyce unfiltered response. Yeah, you can phrase it as your own, Molly. You can pretend it's you, but we will write the unfiltered response for you. All you've got to do is copy and paste. We'll do a reel for yeah. Instagram of what Molly really means. Oh, no, what you should do is just forward it so you know it's not them that's written it, but they don't know where it's actually come from. Just give them a multiple choice. They've got to choose, you know. <laughs> Am I drop because A, I'm fat, B, I'm lazy, or C, somebody else needs to start ahead of you because you're much better at finishing the game? It's not, it's not C that way, Susan. It's A and B. <laughs> and get yourself down the gym. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Just send them a gym link. We've only done it twice yeah. for the magpies, and it's so much carnage because you've got people like, why is that happening? Why is that? Even when you're reading out the team sheet, you just reactions from people. See, this is where actually I think I might have to be bad cop because when we were reading it out and I was watching people's faces, some of the reactions actually gave me great pleasure. And <laughs> 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 how some people took Now, it. is that a psychopath or a schizophrenic? It's a lawyer, Joyce. That's what it is. <laughs> Never make eye contact when you're yeah. giving that news out. Don't make eye contact. Yeah. No. Well, Jade, you can't make eye contact. No, no I can't see them. <laughs> it's fine for me. Stevie Wonder. But yeah, for all the coaches, captains, and whoever has to do selection, like I don't fucking envy you because I absolutely hate it. It's wank. It's shit. And you feel like you've given someone like a, a shot to the left tip because <laughs> just their face Not is just time. awful. It's the worst job. But equally, it's the, also the most rewarding job when someone who's put the graft in for week on week on week, they've not had a starting shirt and then they get the starting shirt. That reaction is outweighs any of the dickhead Karen Susans and Margarets that just fucking give you shit. Like that feeling for them is just unbelievable. And I, I'm trying to be positive now. But yeah, that outweighs all the dickheads that just don't turn up to training and expect a shirt. So yeah, let's leave it as that. The positives outweigh the negatives. <laughs> you need to get one of uh, Joyce's candles to ward away negativity. There's your um, grassroots salute, isn't it? That's your grassroots salute to all coaches having to do selection. So how about this for a nightmare though? When a player gets selected for their county, but you don't want to select them for your club. Ooh. Oh, that's Who did you do that to, Bratty? No comment. Oh, <laughs> put it in the chat, Matty. It wasn't my fault. I mean, I think I got a sympathy selection. 
There's nothing wor- actually there's nothing worse than a sympathy selection to be honest. There's <laughs> like we have hardly any players. You are shit, but we're going to put you on anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and you know. <laughs> you know. I mean that's quite brutal yeah. as well. But like the bless you. bless you. It's probably your last game you're ever going to play. We'll put you on for the last 10 minutes. Or when you go on for the last 2 minutes. I mean why fucking bother, coach? No. Leave me to seethe. Anyway, Jody, it's that time again. Is it? Knock on, knock off. Welcome all to the best part of the pod. <laughs> Said no one ever. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. So I thought we'd go back to a couple of names. So I've been scouring team sheets uh, over the last few days and collating a load of rugby-themed names. Some are real, there will be a knock-on. Some are made up, they're a knock-off. So we have six names to go through, and you've got to tell me if they're a knock-on or a knock-off. So we'll start with Hannah Duff. Hannah Duff. Duff, spelled D-O-U-F-F. And you may be thinking, Doof. that's not very rugby sounding, but if you shorten the name to Han. Han Doof. Han Like it, yeah. Jamie. The fact that you've had to explain it would suggest that that's a knockoff. Yeah, I'm going knockoff. 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 Which is, it's true or not true? Is that knockon or knockoff? Knockon is true. Knockoff is made up. Uh, these yeah. are rugby players, the women rugby players that play for any team that's not in the, well, it could be in the Prem, if not finding one in the Prem. Okay, yeah, right. I'm going to go knock on. I'm going knock on as well. I'm going knock off. I'm going knock off. Points to Molly and Joyce. Oh. It's Hannah Duffy. It's she plays for Saracens. Well, then that's knock Hannah, on then, isn't Hannah it? Duffy play- no, Hannah Duff. 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 Duffy. Not a real person. Oh, Jodie. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. But <laughs> Hannah Duffy yeah. plays for Saracens. Oh, my God. Okay. Right. Next one. It's Irish. Aoife yeah. Maul. Nice. Aoife Maul. Aoife Maul. Knock on. The fact that you've had to ask I'm for gonna, it. I'm going to go knock on. I'm knock on in. Knock on Matt. Knock on Joyce. Knock off. Knock on for Goose. Not that it matters because this game is shit. <laughs> That's really rude. Okay, I'm not, is someone keeping no of the score? Because obviously with my relocation downstairs... I've lost my pen. Jodie, is this not your scores. job as quizmaster to keep note of the score? I had it. I had it, but it's not my job to pay for the uh, Wi-Fi. So, <laughs> all right, hang on, hang on. <laughs> what was the answer? Is it a knock on? I have a pen yeah, and paper. So, so hang on. Okay. Joyce. Yeah. Oh. Joyce. So Molly and Joyce got the first one right. Okay. Yeah. This would be slick after the amount of times we've done it, wouldn't you? <laughs> right. I'll have a strike next episode if this carries on. Thank you. Right. This didn't happen when I was Hitler last week. <laughs> Aoife Maul. Who, what, was that knock on, knock off? It's a knock on. Knock, knock on. Knock on Matt. Knock on Goose. Knock on. Knock on. It is a knock on. Hey. She plays for Trafford MV under 16s. Hang on. I thought we were doing women's rugby players. She's a woman. It, she is a woman. She's 16. Okay, right. <laughs> Does not matter. She's female. She's a real person. Every week, every week those goalposts move. I feel like Molly is coming around to my way of thinking about knock on, knock off. (laughs) There should be a clear set of rules that are universal and apply to every round, not whatever's Jodie's whim at the time. 
Okay, right. Should we go back to... No, this is like playing Uno with the family at Christmas. People just make shit up, don't they? Seriously. If we were in a room together, Molly would be flipping tables now <laughs> in rage. Right. Do you want to go back to the original where I asked you about locations and none of you knew geography? We can go back to those basic no, rules, no, no. right? No, no, yeah. no. carry on. No, crap I've started on. writing the scores down for you, so we need to carry on. Thanks, Goose. Okay, next one, we have Georgina Rubber. <laughs> Miss Miss G Rubber. Grubber. <laughs> Uh, knock, knock off, <laughs> knock off, knock on. <laughs> You're right there, Goose. Knock on. <laughs> Goose is gone. <laughs> I'm going knock off. Knock off. Is she excellent at defence? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going knock on, knock on. Stop, Joyce. That can't be true. It's probably going to be like Worcester <laughs> under twelves or something. <laughs> so yeah, it's a knock off. I made that up. So oh, who God. said knock off? Tony's unborn child. That's what that is. Yeah. Goose and Mal said knock off. Yeah, Jodie's just been researching all the like under six teams at all the clubs to get some random. Don't make players. it sound sleazy, Mal. <laughs> well, stranger things have happened. <laughs> okay, Victoria Boot, knock on, knock, knock on. on, knock on, knock on, knock off. Knock on. Okay, well, she is a real person, but she doesn't play rugby. She's just my friend. <laughs> oh, are you sure she's a friend? Was it not a date? <laughs> Is this someone who your uh, your ex suggested you go on a date with? No, she's happily with a boy, so hasn't stopped you before. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I love how we could actually it's like we plan it. We like literally bring it right round to the beginning again. <laughs> right. Moving on. Wing Leong. Sorry, Wing Leong. I feel like you've terribly offended somebody now, Jodie. <laughs> It might be Lung, Lueng, Lueng, Lueng. I don't know, but it's Wing, Lueng. First name's Wing. I'm going to buy you that Babel translation service for Christmas. Knock off. Matt, knock off. Mal. Knock on. Knock on. Knock on. Points to Goose and Nick. Wing, Lueng, Lueng. (laughs) That one. She plays for Eccles. (laughs) Tiny Tots rugby team from uh, (laughs) Tittery. fuck's sake this is bullshit did he rugby <laughs> no she plays for the women's Eccles team right okay do we, play, crazy. we don't play Eccles anymore do we no it'll just be like some rando girl that's come out <laughs> yeah. of the womb now she'd be born as we speak <laughs> she's got a born she's hand. female <laughs> yep sold okay and lastly we have Samantha Underhill oh for fuck's sake Jodie knock off knock on Samantha Underhill Knock off. Knock on. No, Batty. Knock off. Knock Think off. it through, Batty. Think it through. Knock off. Knock off. Knock off. Points to everyone bar Matt. No, oh, for fuck's sake. Is Sam Underhill your tit? <laughs> no, I know that. But I was thinking, I was trying you, to get into Jodie's mind, which is a, it's you, a weird and disturbed place at the best of times. He could have had a sex change. Who knows in this fucking game? Did the rules change then? I, th- I thought you made the rules. Okay, so I have not got the points. So the points have been totaled up. It's going to be a surprise to me. Goose, what are the results? So in last place is Batty. In third place is Molly. In fourth place uh, is Goose. And the winner today is Joycelet. Two in a row, Joyce. Yeah. Woo! 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 I know. Oh, did you win last week? Well done. She's not coming again. Fucking hell. My problem is I have to I lose interest with Jodie's explanation. So by the time you come to ask me what it is, I just randomly just go knock on or knock off because I can't remember the question. <laughs> <laughs> it works for you. Yeah. 
Can I ask Mom, <laughs> kind of did you over and did your dirtying made you uh, do Fiji? And I just looked at the names and I was like, ah, oh, best of luck with the pronunciation there. How'd you get on? Yeah, I made it, it up, decent. to be honest. I did all right. It was a bit militant, though, if I'm honest. It was literally, right, what's your answer? One at a time, no talking over each other, no chat. It was like in exam, like in exam conditions. Right, listen, Batty. We end up for a piss. And all you, you told me it's a bitch to edit. I was trying to help you out, but do you know what? <laughs> Fuck you. Next time, <laughs> I'm just going to let everyone chat shit. <laughs> This is Molly's Grassroots Salutes. You're never going to guess who I'm going to give the Grassroots Salute to this week. I'm actually going to give the Grassroots Salute to the RFU. What? For what? For sacking Eddie? You just insulted them all. Yeah, I know. I'm going to redeem myself now and get back to a level playing field because I actually feel this is applicable to grassroots women's rugby so for the rugby world cup 2025 they've released an impact program for a toilet upgrade so basically there's grants of five thousand pounds that are awarded to clubs that upgrade their female toilet provisions which i just think is amazing because let's be honest toilets for the women's game are pretty shit you can't change your tampon you can't use a sanitary bin having seven shits you can't use your your urinal but no in all seriousness though like this is amazing. So they're going to basically give out £5,000 to certain clubs that adhere to the RFU Design Guide to Female Toilet Provisions. And then they're also giving out grants of £1,000 to uh, clubs to get sanitary packages from the RFU for their changing rooms and toilets. And I know this sounds really silly, but this is game-changing because one of the worst things about going to a fixture, if you're on your period, is going into a toilet and not feeling like you can change your tampon or sanitary towel before you play rugby. And that is a massive stress for a lot of women. So I just think it's absolutely amazing that they've recognised it as we build to the 2025 uh, World Cup. And I just think it's great because amazing. Totally agree. I'm going to put it out on the gram just to get any clubs that fancy it involved. And the other grassroots salute is to all the people that replied to the Instagram post about the mother and their daughter playing rugby. So Joyce and Emma have got the most likes we've ever had on the gram. Oh, see? Oh, bless. It be M. Yeah, it, it definitely was, was Emma, not you. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but no, so loads of people have come back and replied to it. So it's really exciting. But yeah, I thought that was really good. But that just shows you how far women's rugby's come that we've got now the next generation coming through into women's rugby. You know, you're going to have three generations on there like the men's team have, you know, on the Boxing Day games and all of those things would be amazing. Mm. On that note, actually, just going to remind, we we come out with a bit of a competition in the last episode and that's for Brews of the Week. So this is sparked by some rather comical bruises going around the group chat. And more specifically, Joyce <laughs> using her frankly awful artistic techniques to draw stick people and stick creatures on the bruises in question. I just say what I see. I just I had to draw yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to give a grassroots rugby shirt to the person that sends in the best bruise. Do I get to draw on it and make it into something else? I feel that you should share these bruises to give people an idea of the before and after of what I've done on the internet. Joyce is going to decorate it (laughs) and then Sherry's going to sign it for you and we're going to have a grassroots shirt and maybe, if you're lucky, a limited edition grassroots fanny flannel (laughs) winner. And the stipulation is 
nothing revolting. So Jody's face, right? That's just disgusting. We don't want to see that. Um, we want to see bruises that look like Jesus or bruises that cover your entire leg. He's being hunted down by a pack of three, running towards the touchline, shuffled into the touch. Not entirely sure. This is Fantasy 15. Fantasy 15 this time is the senses. So we got 12 and 13 and thought a good pairing, England and Australia. What have you got? Yeah, well, I've got somebody from England. I've been to Oxford this weekend and I feel incredibly intelligent as a result, just walking around Oxford, absorbing the higher IQ levels. And we went to Oxford Castle and I learned all about a lady called Queen Matilda, also known as Empress Matilda, who is this badass member of the royal family who nobody really knows anything about, but she was the daughter of King Henry I. And she married somebody in Europe. And while she was in Europe, her dad died and somebody else took the throne and she came back and basically kicked ass for several years. But then they came to a truce. But she, she like escaped Oxford Castle by tying bedsheets together, shimmying down out of the window in the snow. And she cleverly played footprints in the snow walking towards the castle rather than away so that they think it was somebody walking towards the castle instead of her escaping. That's some Home Alone shit, that is. She was proper badass, this woman. Proper badass woman. So, yeah, she... Did you tie a paint can on the end of a rope yeah, as well? Yeah. Ye oldie paint can. Yeah, yeah. so she gets my vote as a centre because she had an army, she invaded, she nearly conquered, but as a good female, she came to an agreement and negotiated some badass shit, which meant her son actually took the throne. And, yeah, she was just impressive. So she is my, my vote, Empress Matilda. I like it. Australia, then. I'm going to volunteer one. A bit controversial, this one. Jermaine Greer. So Jermaine Greer is one of the leading feminists, both as a writer and a general commentator. She was the author of a very famous book called The Female Eunuch that came out in the... 60s, 70s, I think, that very much brought the feminist debate to the general polemic. And what's really interesting about Jermaine is that she very much like says it how it is and has adjusted her to arguments and general discourse to move with the time. So she's like very, very outspoken, very funny, very tough, and was also like a massive hippie. So back in the 60s, she was like really famous for you know, go, hanging out with. You know, the Rolling Stones and kind of cool people like that enjoyed her drugs and, and, and so on. But the lot of the voice of feminism as we know it today was started by people like Jermaine Greer. So I think she's pretty cool. I met her twice. Yeah, although I have, I've just Googled um, inspiring Australian women. Elisa Azar, a young Australian adventurer who um, summited Mount Everest at the mere age of 19. So that's mm. pretty impressive. Yeah, and there's also Edith Cohen who was first woman elected uh, as a member of parliament in uh, Australia. Wow. She was a massive advocate for health and education and justice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, and part of the uh, actively involved in the suffragette movement. Quite like that. Nice. Now I've gone down a rabbit hole again of people, and I'll just gather all this information, won't I? She's on the $50 bill as well, is Edith Cohen. Ah, is she? Yeah. 
Yeah. Actually, I've just found something whilst you've been talking. I was just thinking, right, in the centres, you need a little bit of a niggle, don't you? Centres, you get a lot of traffic in the centre. You need somebody who's a little bit tough, a little bit, can deal with a bit of the rough stuff, but is also a bit of an escapologist as well, can kind of get out of difficult situations. So I found here, Jesse Hickman, it's an Australian bush ranger. She was, had multiple aliases, was also referred to as the Lady Bush Ranger. Oh, she sounds fun. Uh, Monica, that's a bit lame. She was a leader of a gang of cattle thieves <laughs> and was generally up to no good for a lot of her career. And she was also part of some kind of ridiculous Wild West equivalent show in Australia. It was like an expert at rustling cattle. She sounds, she pretty, sounds cool. pretty cool. Yeah, she sounds quite hard and tough, actually. Yeah, she's just going to take down that, I don't know, buffalo or whatever runs at you. Buffalo actually. in Australia. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Her legendary well, exploits included escaping from custody whilst <laughs> in a locked toilet aboard a moving train. <laughs> Well, she's getting out that rock, isn't she? Oh, my God, yeah. Rolling away, sir. Cattle. Yeah, stealing cattle in a police holding yard. Roll away, I'm six foot away. I mean, what are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. That's definitely hands in the rock, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that, yeah, is, yeah. yeah. that is. That's extreme jackaling. I've jackled an entire cow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that forward's going to be no problem. Yeah. Cow yeah, toppling. Definitely. You need some cow tipping in the centre sometimes, actually, as well, particularly against people like Lee. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) It's amazing, though, how we're finding all these kind of inspirational women from all these different countries that actually we wouldn't probably go and look for, apart from being on the podcast. I'll just go down a rabbit hole now of, like, just finding more out about Yeah, when you look at my Google history now, it's quite an interesting Google history. It's not just shit about dogs or funny (laughs) photos. It's like, it looks like I'm an intellect now, which I'm quite impressed with. (laughs) I might put an episode together of just... Our conversations around the fantasy fifteen—that'd be quite oh, a cool God. episode. <laughs> like, then we could like list it as like historical content rather than just rugby. And shit oh yeah, we might get like top yeah. ten. It's developed over the years, hasn't it? The podcasts are uh, fantasy uh, fifteen, going from mythical creatures at the beginning to now. <laughs> Do you reckon we could get it on the um, GCSE syllabus? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The grassroots. You know, they used to have those bite-sized like programs. I don't know whether that's still a thing or whether that's just from. Yeah, when I was at school, you know, now you have to listen to the Grassroots podcast to get your history information on famous women. On BBC, yeah. So basically just like watching The Crown then. Yes. Basically. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) Shit, my coach says, we go to Driftfield, but it's a three-hour fucking coach journey, and the coach moans about it being a long way and that he's cold. Fuck off, Petal. It's not cold you stand on the pitch when you can't feel your fucking fingers and try and catch a ball that's fucking cold so yeah that's not the coach moaning about being cold is that is pretty yeah. lame you shit your coach said the reason i've benched you this week isn't because of anything <laughs> <laughs> it's because you're just so good at coming on and making an impact yeah you're such an impact player we want to save yeah. you for that second half that's because you can't fucking catch a kickoff <laughs> and we need to win some scrums yeah and, you- <laughs> and to be honest i'm sick of looking at your face yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. yeah and that shirt's way too tight yeah. you're only on the team yeah. sheet because it's easier to put you on there than deal with the hassle of not having you on there <laughs> yeah yeah that's the shit you coach it's the shit your coach doesn't say yeah <laughs> yeah takes one for the face Still in front of- 
This is Every Team's Got One. This is, we'll know who their person is on our team. There's always one person when the ref comes along and does the boot check, sometimes do a nail check. There's always one person falsies on. Fake nails. <laughs> I know we're all ladies. We're all ladies at the end of the day. We all look our best. That's fine. But you're also a rugby player. Cannot have false nails. Imagine you're jumping a line out and someone lifts you up with a massive talons and they scratch you up your leg. No, they should cut their nails off before they play. Okay, so shit your teammates say. Well, do you know what? If anything happens with these nails, it's going to hurt me more than the opposition or the player. Oh, God. <laughs> that is what came out of that mouth. That's piss poor. I know, I know. I was like, what? No, that's not how it works. Well, I've no. had somebody who will also remain nameless turn down a game that they couldn't play for a game because they were having their nails done on the Friday and they were really expensive and they didn't want them to come off. I've had people as well where they won't play because they've had a new tattoo. We did have that time. It was a friendly, I think. And the ref came to check nails and that one person ran away behind the, the stick protectors. The sticks. It was protectors. <laughs> yeah. It's like, where's she running away from? <laughs> where's she running to? Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I've just got That's visions of oh protectors on the little wingers, like stick protectors. <laughs> what, on Wing Luang? Yeah, Wing Luang. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Uh, thank you for joining us this week on our rugby grassroots, women's rugby from the roots up. Thank you for listening to episode six. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Well, that takes us to the end of the show, and thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and comment. As it's Christmas and the season of goodwill to all, especially amateur podcasters, please give us a few quid in our coffee account. The address is www.ko-fi.com forward slash grassrootsrugbypod. There's an inevitable conclusion to this. A brilliant finish. This is Grassroots, women's rugby from the roots up.